0: Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The
1: Chris Johnston Show.
0: We are your friends.
1: The biggest stories. Bringing you inside the game.
0: What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by sports interaction.
1: Wanna bet?
0: What is going on?
1: Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie.
0: Part of the game. We begin the new year talking about a player who we may very well discuss for a very, very very long time honor bedard just these last few games for him these last few days for him on the national spotlight at the world juniors i have to admit it has been a sight to see
1: yeah i don't think there's anything that we can quite compare to it um it's not just that he's setting the scoring records for team canada at this event and and you know starting to creep up on the all-time scoring records for the tournament, you know, it's the fact he's 17 years old, Julian. I mean, this is a, a tournament scouts always call a 19 year old tournament. Uh, we often see Canada, you know, have these young star players uh, on the team and and not maybe play as big a role when they're 16 or 17 or 18. And that goes for whether it's Sidney Crosby or Jason Spezza back in the day. But, you know, the fact that Connor Bedard has looked so far and above everyone else on his team, on the opposing teams. um you know, it's 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 pretty special. And and look, I think it needs to be said this tournament is not the be all and end all. But if you zoom out, I mean, this guy has played one game all year where he didn't register at least a point. It happened to be his first game of the season for the Regina Pats back in September. And I think he had 10 or 11 shots on net that night. So it wasn't as though he was quiet. He just, you know, something didn't fall for him. I mean, he's been doing it again and again and again, but now he's on a stage, you know, that that doesn't compare to anything else he can be on at this point in his life. And he's, he's dominating the tournament that the goal he scored in overtime of the quarterfinals, I think will be a moment that's replayed again and again, again, as a highlight that people remember that was an incredibly tense game. Um, And, you know, it almost felt like maybe there was an upset in the offing from the Slovaks uh, because their goaltender was so good, but uh, Connor Bedard called game on that one. And so I think, I actually think this is, everyone knew how good he was, I think, to a degree, but this has changed almost the focus in some NHL front offices, just looking at this guy. And, you know, I think there's some GMs out there quietly wondering how they can get worse as quickly as possible, because, yeah, the the, the lottery is not in anyone's favor, but you might as well try to secure the best odds you can, because this player is worth it.
0: I was about to ask with tanking, right? Like, I mean, we the word tank. Provides such a different reaction, depending on who you talk to. But if you are an NHL team that does not have high aspirations of making the NHL playoffs, and you see what Connor Bedard has done at the junior level, and you see what he's done at the World Juniors, how are you not putting your team in the best possible position to try to draft this guy? At the very least, put yourself in a position where fine. You know what? You can't get Connor Bedard. You might have a fighting chance with draft odds to get an Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson. Mathee Mitchkoff, I know is falling in the in the draft order for depending on who you who you see, uh, who's ranking it. But like, I mean, the the draft class is what it is. But if you have a fighting chance at getting Connor Bedard, you put yourself in that position as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, let's remember tanking, it's a, it's an ugly word or it's one that a lot of people don't want to say inside the sport, but there's a long, proud history of it in the NHL. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins openly tanked in the 80s to get Mario Lemieux and look at how that changed the franchise entirely. I mean, Lemieux was one of the best players in the league, probably the best player for a period of time when he was healthy, He helped them win two Stanley cups, saves them as an owner. They win three more Stanley cups. Um, you know, their entire franchise changed on, on getting Mario Lemieux to come to Pittsburgh. You know, I'm not going to say Connor Bedard is Mario Lemieux at this point. I mean, I think it's hard to even project with a player as special as this, how special he is. Uh, but, but clearly he's a game changer. And I think one of the the reasons tanking isn't always worth it is because you it's hard to line it up and get it right. And you don't know which year, you know, there's, there's a huge gap between the first overall picks in terms of how quickly they can make a difference, what their ceiling is. But I think, you know, what's pretty clear now is we've got a special, special number one overall pick here. And, and, you know, the league has changed the rules and, and, and tried to disincentivize tanking to a certain degree, but they're kind of cut in a tough space. I mean, the entire point of the draft, is to redistribute talent to the worst teams because you want to give them a chance to climb up. Right. Uh, but then at the same time, you don't want the worst teams to to tank to the bottom. Uh, I think at least Chicago in this year clearly has set themselves up. I don't know if you want to call it a tank, but they, you know, they traded away some young players last year, Brandon Hagel, Alex to Um, You know, they, they haven't just stripped themselves of some of the the more obvious aging veterans that, that might still be moved, um, you know, by the trade deadline. And remember when Luke Richardson was hired, he said, It's our job to win more than management wants us to, or something to that effect. And so I think the plan there has been in place. I mean, obviously, Arizona has been just accruing as many draft picks as they can. I think they want to be near the bottom. You know, Anaheim's faced a tough slog. They started trading away players. I mean, again, I don't know if we can call these outright tanks, but certainly those teams are all mindful of what, what's at stake here if they can win that number one overall pick.
0: I was reading uh, Pierre LeBrun's column on this, and near the end of it, he, seems to suggest that we shouldn't be surprised if GMs start to make some trades sooner to kind of, you know, accelerate their tank efforts, you know, kind of help their tank awareness, so to speak. Do do you you follow that one? Yeah, exactly.
1: Do you, do you agree with what he's saying? Absolutely. I think that that's, you know, that sentiment is definitely out there that, that some of these teams would prefer to get a jump on the market to, to get things moving sooner than later. You know, it might be in their best interest in terms of, you know selling the assets but also you know weakening their roster in the short term the the problem is most of the teams that we would label buyers you know i don't think are truly ready to buy i mean most teams that are in that category have significant cap issues and you know the cap is calculated every single day of the season the the closer you get to the end of the year the hard, the easier it is for those teams to to make accommodations to fit players under the cap ceiling and so you know, I think it's hard to imagine. I don't like. I'd be surprised if we just saw a flurry of moves, you know, in the second week of January. But I, I think that there's a little bit more at stake uh, for for some of the sellers to try to, um, you know, sell off some pieces. I mean, maybe what we'll see, and this is just a theory, maybe we'll see some assets traded for less than they would be in the past, just to to facilitate those deals happening sooner. I mean, that 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 might be the kind of concession that that breaks the logjam. Um, but this is an interesting time. Like, like something has changed in this week to 10 days, I think just kind of the focus on Bedard and, and, you know, as I say, it's, this isn't the be all and end all the if scouting staff's watching every game all around the world for, for years at a time to, to, to identify a draft class. Um, but you know, that being said, basically every star player that's played in the NHL in recent memory has come through the world junior tournament and, and very few, if any of them have done what Connor Bedard is doing.
0: Should mention, uh, for those watching or listening, uh, we will be talking trades later in the show. The trading pile segment is back, where we're going to go through a list of names who may or may not be on the market, and we'll be able to pick uh, CJ's brain on that. But before we get to that, and so many other things, and uh, sports interaction, of course, um, let me ask, let me let me play a little game of fill in the blank with you, CJ. Connor Bedard, best prospect since
1: blank. Connor McDavid, maybe. It's hard to know, right? Like the issue with Bedard, and it's not necessarily an issue. We don't know if he's a center or a winger at the NHL level, um, you know. Because you had McDavid and Matthews selected in back-to-back drafts. Matthews stepped right into the NHL and scored forty goals as as a rookie, and hasn't has increased his goal scoring pace every year since. He's actually a little bit down this year, although he's come on lately. McDavid's won four of seven. Potential Art Ross trophies, four, seven scoring titles since he entered the league. You know, and that's that. That sort of speaks for itself. I think he's in the level of those two guys. I just, I mean, this is the fun. This is why I think people get excited about prospects. Who can say with any certainty? Certainly, there's people far more skilled at scouting and projecting these things than I am. But no one can say with certainty how high the ceiling goes. I just think it's clear that there's there's the, the skill set of Connor Bedard. Bedard I mean, he sees the ice so well, you know, obviously his shot stands out. I mean, it's already drawn comparisons to awesome Matthews' shot because he has that sort of curl and, and drag release uh, and, and just shoots it so hard and so accurately. But he, I mean, his vision that you've seen on a lot of the assists he's earned. I mean, it's, these aren't like garbage second assists he's piling up here. And then he has that sort of X factor. It factor wants the puck on his stick. Like you could see it in that overtime in the quarterfinal game against the Slovaks. I mean, he 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 has sort of the combination of everything. And so, you know, I saw someone was debating, is he the best prospect ever? I mean, like I, I could never go that
0: <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> Whoa! But,
1: I mean Connor, let's like let's not overlook how highly touted Connor McDavid was in particular. I think Austin awesome Matthews was a notch below that, but you know, stepped in the league and really was was a dominant force really from the first day he was an NHL player. You know, I think that Connor Bedard has that potential, to, and, then, and then we see where he goes with his career. I mean, that's that's why it's fun to watch, and that's why I think if you're a fan of a losing team or you're in a front office where it's a tough season where you're enduring all these losses, I mean, this is this is a pretty bright sun on the horizon, a, a huge possibility, because I think he makes your team better next season, and then you've got seven years of team control at minimum to to watch how far he can take that.
0: Uh, the columbus blue jackets we got to think about them and the possibility of them being in the sweepstakes the canadians are starting to bottom out as well with some of their recent performances they might put themselves in a position like the tank awareness around the league like we're starting to see it from 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 teams that are kind of petering out towards the bottom like it's i mean i don't know if you're familiar with with victor Wembanyama in the nba and and how nba teams might be tanking for him next year and the insane amount of talent it is fun to see that the NHL is could lo, is low is Loki key copying that same model with how some of those teams might be veering towards that player.
1: Right. And it's tough for players, right? Like there's actual players on these teams. Like it's no fun feeling this way, but I, I just think from an organizational standpoint, it's pretty enticing. The problem is you finish 32nd, it's 18 and a half percent chance of getting them. So, you know, if you finish 32nd, you're picking no worse than third overall. That's probably the, the nice part, but. You know, you still got less than a one in five shot, Adam, but I, if I'm one of those like bottom six teams right now, I don't have the list in front of me, but some version of Chicago, Arizona, Columbus, uh, I believe San Jose, Anaheim, Montreal, like roughly that group, like you're, you're not making the playoffs. Like you could go on a crazy second half here. I mean, I'd want my best chances Adam. And I think we'll see some of those teams make some moves to, to help, help the odds a little bit, if you know what I'm saying.
0: What's uh what slogan are you using for these uh, sweepstakes? So like some people have said, suck hard for Bedard. Like what, where do you lean on that?
1: I like tank hard for Bedard a little better.
0: Yeah. Uh, tank hard. Yeah. I, I, I can get down with tank hard.
1: I saw, I saw David Amber on Sportsnet's coverage said bail for Bedard uh, or something, something like that. There's not a, there's not a perfect one. Let's face it. Um, yeah. But I tank hard for Bedard. I can get behind.
0: Dishonor for Connor.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What did we say for McDavid? I don't remember what we said for McDavid.
1: I don't know, but there always seems to be one, right?
0: Someone will come up with some funny, witty thing. Anyway, uh, I'm sure that'll happen. But yes, we will be uh, we'll be watching out for Connor Bedard and how he goes about the rest of the World Juniors and and the rest of his Western Hockey League season. And uh, when we uh, hang out in Nashville for the draft. Oh, that's going to be fun to see who gets the number one overall pick. But anyway, time to bring on David Bastel and You Can Bet That. You Can Bet That with David Bastel, Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. The very first You Can Bet That segment of 2023 for us, DB. Good to see you. Good to see you. Happy New Year, fellas. Of course, remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn for all of your gaming needs. We're approaching the halfway mark of the year for so many teams. So it's time for us to look at uh, who in the Calder Memorial Trophy race has the edge. Uh, Matty Beniers is up there. Peter Kochekov has a chance. Logan Thompson is up there, too. DB, let's go through some of these names. Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's one of those things too, where you're kind of at the midway season, so you start to recalculate the uh, the calculations of okay, he's here and he's there, and where you know for all the categories, all the major categories, uh, Calder's really interesting because we're seeing a really nice story out of Seattle with the Kraken. But one of the reasons is Matty Beneers. he's the favorite right now in sports interaction. I love the Carolina goaltender as well, CJ. I, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name like uh, Julian just did there right now, but. Hey, there he's the reason why this team is still where it is, in my opinion. Just the, the numbers are phenomenal. And of course the injuries to Freddie Anderson is kind of give him this opportunity.
1: Well, they call him Coochie, so that's that's easy enough to remember. <laughs> I'm not, I refuse to
0: call him by that. I refuse <laughs> to call him by that name.
1: And look, he's the reigning NHL rookie of the month. He's coming on strong after, you know, starting the year in the American Hockey League. And and you know, we'll see how the, the, the situation shakes out a net for the hurricanes. Maybe won't be able to get enough action. Uh, to, to truly get into this award by end of the year, or maybe he's just so good they got no choice. And and one of the veterans, Anti Ranta, Frederick Anderson, has uh, is pushed to the side. Uh it it's sort of it is an interesting race. I mean, normally, let's face it, scoring forwards win the large percentage uh, of of the rookie of the year um awards. You know, last year more at Sider did it as a defenseman. Um uh, but you know maybe it's time for a rookie goaltender to get the nod because you know, with Kochetkov and Thompson and even Stuart Skinner you you've got goaltenders playing on teams that have ambition these aren't just guys playing on on the bottom feeders
0: that's true. Uh, by, I should mention uh, Beniers, uh, the betting favorite right now at 3.27. Kochetkov at 4.12. Logan Thompson, uh, the third best odds according to Sports Interaction at 12.35. Stuart Skinner also there. He's at 21.42. Uh, some other names to think about. Mason McTavish is on there. Kent Johnson. Uh, Owen Power, who uh, I famously did the uh, the little retake thinking he was going to be Rookie of the Year. At the very last second when I could, I made the switch to Matty Beniers very relieved i made that switch again but here's the betting favorite owen power at 28.23 not saying he doesn't have a chance but yep. uh it's a he's, long he's, shot he's a little further back A bit more of a long shot uh db uh but yeah very exciting call to trophy race just glad to see you back and uh, we'll have you back on our next show on friday uh, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn for all the best odds before game in game all the best props again sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn Thanks, fellas. There are some other stories we will get to uh, as we go on with our show, some outdoor game talk, trading pile, as I mentioned before, of uh, Michael Bunting and Ask CJ. We need to get to this story involving Damar Hamlin, the Bills safety, uh, who unfortunately collapsed to the ground during the Monday night football game between the Bills and the Bengals. We need to get to that story first because, of course, it's, it's a story that has dominated the sporting world, uh, obviously because of how scary the the incident was. At least it seems as if as of last we checked before we got on air, his condition seems to be progressing. But we've also noticed how the rest of the sporting world, notably the NHL, has responded uh, and has offered support to Hamlet's family and the Buffalo Bills. Um, just just a really terrible scene. Uh, it's kind of tough to kind of be like, hey, what's your reaction to this? But uh, I, I I know you were probably watching that game too, just like I was. Uh, it was a really tough watch to see.
1: Yeah, awful situation. And and I mean, it's it's easy to draw some parallels between the sports. I mean, perhaps football's, I guess, more violent than hockey. But it, the truth is both games can be incredibly dangerous and in that there's a certain degree of risk of something awful happening in everyone. And, and often nobody wants to consciously think of that. But then these moments happen and it's hard not to reflect and you know the nhl has had some situations that at least were somewhat similar i think back to rich peverly incident um actually early in my career i was working at the canadian press and Yuri fisher collapsed on the red wings bench and i remember that being something we had to scramble and cover from from a far difficult spot i'd actually forgotten about chris pronger's uh incident in the in the late 90s uh, where he took a slap shot to the chest and and had a similar issue as as Demar Hamlin, and and he came through it. And I suppose that's where you you find some hope, right? Is that, you know, in Pronger's case, he had a wildly successful career after that point. He recovered fully. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, you know, was able to to keep doing what he he does. I mean, what we'll, we'll see, what happens with Damar Hamlin, but but obviously, just wish him and his family the best. And you know, I I don't know what you look into this stuff, but even that Buffalo Sabers tweet, you know, with with. Tage Thompson having a big game on January 3rd and it's all, all the love for three, you know, and it's his third hat trick of the year he had in Washington. He scored three minutes into overtime, his 30th goal. I mean, if you're looking for good signs. Uh, you know, sometimes the, the things happen. We can't explain. There's a lot, put it this way. There's a lot of threes in Tage Thompson's scoreline, um, you yeah. know, the day after. And and so, yeah, we just hope, hope for the best and, and a lot of hope sent from, from NHL corners uh you know in this case
0: absolutely we 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 wish nothing but the best for for damar and, and his family i will mention with the tage thompson thing for those who are not aware uh so yeah the buffalo sabers uh, ahead of their washington capitals game the players enter wearing these shirts saying love for three Demar hamlin wears number three for the buffalo bills tage thompson who's been having an amazing year to this point scores on january 3rd his third hat trick of the year he's at 30 goals as we speak scores the overtime winner against the Washington Capitals three minutes in I, I, for me, like with that number stuff, I used to just think like, okay, it's just coincidence. I feel like seeing that that's just really like, wow, I, I couldn't believe that. That was
1: incredible. Yeah. It feels like a good omen. I mean, what else, what else do you read into these things? Obviously it could just be total coincidence, but um, I'm not religious in the traditional sense, but, you do. There is something cosmic about the way sometimes things like that come together, and there's lots of instances of it too. This is just the latest one that that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, but it is just just to put a bow on the topic. Just really nice to see so many people, uh, you know, take notice of the of of what has happened, and and we've probably seen you've probably definitely seen the GoFundMe. Uh, I don't know how much money uh, that uh, the charity or or the initiative that DeMar has been raising money for. Uh, has gone to like it's gone to like a couple million, million dollars right that's Almost insane
1: as of this recording yep
0: like the goal was like under 10,000 it was like a, like under 5,000 initially and it has gone to a point where nfl players all these different celebrities have have donated to it and the 7 million that is i don't know that's man i i really hope damar is able to get out of this and continue his life and I hope that he's able to see. And I think I'm sure he will be able to see how much love and support has been poured out for him in light of what has happened. Like, this is, I, I'm, we're, we're pulling for him, obviously, but I really yeah, hope he gets to see speaks, all the love he gets.
1: It just speaks to how widespread, like how this is felt in in obvious places, but a lot of non obvious places too. I mean, I think that it's, it's an example when you're in a tough situation and you can't do something. To help him physically, of course, I mean, he's in the hands of the doctors and everything, but people still want to do something, show their respect, show their support. And uh, it's a really, really nice story. An example of something really great coming out of an awful situation.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to spend a few moments on that. A bit of a transition to some other NHL topics. Uh, but I'm again, I'm glad that uh, we were able to spend a little moment just to talk about what happened with Tamar Hamlin and the reaction that has come since. Uh, We have to talk about some outdoor games. Uh, Well, one that happened earlier this week and one that is due to come later this year. Uh, You all are watching or listening to the show. Uh, I watched the outdoor, uh, the winter classic in uh, Fenway Park from my couch. CJ, I imagine you did the same thing. Producer Nick, though, happened to be in Boston. He was on the Green Monster. He was on the Green Monster. He was telling us some stories uh, before we got on air. Uh, lucky him, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll get my I'll get my kicks in for for an outdoor game later this year. But uh, we'll get to that later. Um, what'd you think of the game? What'd you think of Pittsburgh versus Boston? What'd you think of uh, the festivities, the Black Keys? I think Bell Biv DeVoe did the anthem. What did you think of uh, the this year's Winter Classic?
1: I thought it was awesome. I mean, I'm I'm on record as supporting this event. Uh, I thought it looked great on television. I was actually at the previous. Winter Classic at Fenway Park, um, Philadelphia, and Boston back in that day. And I've covered a number, you know, 20 or so of these outdoor games across the years. I think they're great events on the ground. It's a fun celebration of the sport. It's something a little different. You can see it in the players. I mean, I, I that that's what tells me, one of the things that tells me it's worth doing. Like, I get that there's challenges and the sight lines aren't as good as a typical NHL game and all this, you know, maybe some people get cold out in the stands, um, but there's not really anything quite like it. Uh, the rest of the year I mean there's only two to three of these a season and um, you know I I, I thought it presented really well for the league and, and I'm actually quite excited to see what Seattle does just because you know that's still a market on a national level we're still getting to know in hockey right I mean uh, I've been to the city just once actually so but I got a feel for what the place is about I'm still sort of figuring out what the Kraken are you know they, they're having a really nice season but you know, I think it'll be a real chance for them to kind of show themselves to the the wider NHL audience uh, when they they host this next January first on twenty twenty four. Love that Vegas is the opponent too. I think it's kind of cool having the, the the two the two young kids of the league in that game. I think that that was a nice touch. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't I, I don't have any complaints about it. And and man, the Bruins are just a machine. I mean, uh, come back again from from another deficit. Haven't lost uh, in regulation on home ice in this case, home ice, not being their typical home ice uh, at Fenway Park. And they uh, they're dangerously close to getting saddled with the J word after watching what they've done so far this year and, and seeing them. Oh, come I, back.
0: I thought about that. I was like, oh, God,
1: are you going to say it? Not today, but it's I mean, it's. Dangling around. I mean, we can start looking at them potentially and look at. I know there's some asterisk involved. It's a different era because there's no, you know, there were ties back in the 70s, but I mean they, they have a chance to potentially set a new points record for the NHL. Uh that's that's how great their season's been. I mean, we're we're we have gone beyond like, okay, they're really good. It's like they're they could be historically good, you know, how good this regular season's been. And so pretty, pretty neat for them to have this showcase event and pull out a win at home. And uh yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't have any. Those things aren't perfect, but, man, they're pretty cool. When when you actually, like, remove yourself, and I know everyone's seen it a few times or many times now, but I I think it's pretty cool the league still does it.
0: Seattle versus Vegas in uh, the Winter Classic next year. We did touch off on that. How do you feel about the fact – so you you like the matchup, but I know there are some people who said, well, why couldn't it have been Seattle versus Vancouver? Where do you stand on that? Personally, for me, like, I feel as if there isn't enough of a rivalry between those two, not to say that they're – is a big one between seattle and vegas but it's just a lot cooler to see the two newest expansion teams kind of battle it out versus seattle and vancouver where it just feels a little bit more like a random matchup by comparison
1: yeah like from a i understand that that will probably be a rivalry as time goes along especially if the teams get better and play in the playoffs and all those things but we have to remember this is at its heart a television event in the us nationally i mean the 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 cool thing that the nhl managed to do with the winter classic going back to its infancy is is they've actually carved out a national window typically on New Year's Day it was January 2nd this year because they didn't want to go head to head with the NFL but typically on New Year's Day and they get a big audience and so i think that everything from the matchup to the location to the host teams to the venues all that is factored through the lens of you know how can we showcase a sport in the US and you know only one of the i guess two of the winter classics Montreal visited Boston when they when they played it at the Patriot Stadium, and then the Leafs uh, played the Red Wings at in Ann Arbor in, in 2014. Um, but in general, I think the league has viewed it better to have two American teams. And look, the the thing that's kind of maybe an underlying story here: Vegas and Seattle are two of the biggest revenue generators in the league already. I mean, the two of the newest teams. Are in in the haves as opposed to the have-nots. I mean, there's there's revenue sharing in this league for the the lowest earning teams, and there's a whole bunch of criteria you have to hit. These teams are putting into the pot. They're not they're not taking money from that pot. And so, I think they're two big markets. Again, you know, Vegas has gotten lots of love, reaching the Stanley Cup final in their first year, and just having so much success as a team right from the get-go. But as I say, I think we're still getting to put our minds around what Seattle is, what it's going to be, what that market can be for the league. But this is a reflection that that these are big markets with big fan bases and they've they've immediately jumped into the league and been positive partners essentially in what what is the the business, the broader business of the NHL. So I think that's the easiest answer. I mean, you could have Vancouver, Seattle, but I, I think that, that that would limit the the audience a little bit in the US. It's 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 probably better to go this way. And and I do love that you're kind of rewarding the the two new teams. I mean, there's only a handful of teams. I think it's three maybe that that have never been part of an outdoor game uh, or are, aren't at least planned to be part of one because you've got Carolina hosting one uh, here next month and then, you know, these two teams, um, you know, being part of one next January. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see them brought into the mix. And, you know, I think while well, we understood why say Chicago – played in so many because it was a big market and, and the team was so good for years and years and years. I think it's nice to get some fresh blood in there as well.
0: What about the heritage classic uh, due to uh, go down uh, early next season involving the battle of Alberta of the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames at Commonwealth Stadium?
1: Yeah, we've been reporting on this for the last you know few weeks. I mean, I, I like, I love the idea of it. I think it's a cool nod to the original outdoor game, right? 2003 heritage classic with, with Montreal and Edmonton. You know, it's going to be just about twenty years. Uh, it's a little sooner on the calendar, but but basically twenty years from the first NHL outdoor game, which didn't start, you know, with with any of the grand ambition of what's become in mind. It was kind of staged as a one-off event. It had an alumni component. Uh, was was pretty memorable seeing Jose Theodore with the the toque on his his goaltending helmet. It was a really cold night and cold time in Edmonton. And and you know, this is this is basically Canada's outdoor game, right? This is the answer to why Vancouver isn't. In Seattle, you know, the Heritage Classic typically is held every second year uh, involving at least one Canadian team. And in this case, you get uh, the natural uh, provincial rivals in Edmonton and Calgary. So, you know, that'll be a fun one. I I hope you bring your your feet warmers. I know it's late October, but it can still be cold in Edmonton at that point in time. And when you cover one of these events, you spend half the time outside. Um, The coldest one I remember covering, and, and this is just off the top of my head, there was an Ottawa Montreal game in Ottawa for the Centennial. I think it was called yes. the Centennial Classic. That was as cold as I remember. And again, a lot of covering it, you're outdoors, and that, that was that was a challenge. We did Hockey Night in Canada from there when I was, was still part of that show. And like we were literally huddled in a small trailer, basically like cuddling for for warmth. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because our our set was actually outdoors on Parliament Hill, which was really cool uh mm-hmm. that they did that. But uh, that, that's the coldest one I remember. You know, it's pretty snowy. I was in Ann Arbor for Leafs and Red Wings. I did the game in Regina. It was um, Winnipeg and Calgary a few years ago. That was that was pretty cold. But as I say, I, I just think they're awesome events for the fans on, on the ground. And uh, I'm sure everyone will turn out in Edmonton next October.
0: I'm sure of that. Uh, when you were huddling for warmth in the trailer, which uh, member of Hockey Night in Canada provided the most body warmth?
1: Nick Kiprios at the time. Yeah. Kipper, Kipper was still part of the show. And uh, like, literally I, I have a picture of it somewhere. Like it was like me, David, Amber, Elliot and Kipper, I believe like literally in the smallest trailer you can imagine just sitting like body to body to, to try to warm up. Oh my God.
0: Well, Cause I think I, we I, had to
1: take our jackets off when we went on set. Don't quote me on that. But I did remember like, it was like, and you had to hold the mic right. And the mic is metal and you're outside yeah, yeah. and it's been outside. I mean, look, it's a first world problem. It's, it's a great job to have, but like, that's the time when you're like, all right, our cushy little normal set is a big improvement on, on the work conditions you found there.
0: Okay. Uh, In October or at some other point, I will ask you for a checklist of what to bring when covering an outdoor game. That might actually be a fun segment. We should do what to bring for an outdoor game. Okay. Um, I've got
1: thoughts. Yes, don't don't I bet you don't do. bring your best suit and your best shoes, bud. That's all no, I'm saying. It's not about no. style. It's about substance. It's about being being warm.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's get to Michael Bunting and then the trading pile, and then ask CJ uh, Pierre LeBrun. We've mentioned him a lot on the show. Uh, says that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have begun preliminary conversations with Michael Bunting on a new contract. Where are you, Christopher Johnson?
1: Hearing? Well, I think preliminary is the right word to to underline there um you know michael bunting this is a a contract year for him i don't believe that there were any contract discussions heading into this season or at least nothing of substance to this point in the year there haven't really been much going on but that that changed in the last few days uh with the leafs and and his agent at least having a, a broad conversation but you know it's not as though they're you know, it, anything could change. Look, someone makes an offer and the other side likes it. it you, you can make a deal pretty quickly. But generally, there's a process involved in these kind of negotiations. And I think we're just at the early stages of that process. You know, this is a unique player and a unique contract. Um, Michael Bunting played almost 200 American Hockey League games. Uh, he had only played 26 games in the NHL when the Leafs signed him a year and a half ago. And and so his his cap hit is pretty affordable, 950000 uh, for last year and for this year is is was the cap hit, and he's produced tremendous value on that cap hit, uh, nearly 0.8 points per game, and so you know for those in Toronto, I think they they probably understand the value of Bunting. You know he's played most of his his career on Austin Matthews's wing and and been you know really effective at doing so. Maybe if you're outside of the market and not paying as much attention to Leafs, you might be surprised. You know when when we start talking about like what kind of contract I think he can can garner, uh, but. You know, this guy took a long time to make the league. He was never really supposed to be an NHL player. If you look at his upbringing, didn't it's not like he played AAA the whole way through. was was raised largely by a single mother in, in Scarborough, in the suburb of Toronto. I mean, really nice story. But you know, he hasn't earned the kind of money a twenty seven year old in the NHL normally would have earned in his career. And this is this is a very important contract for him. And so, I think that there's you know a lot of desire for him. This is his hometown. He loves playing for the Leafs. To stay here, but you know he's got to be paid fairly to do so, and and we'll see if the sides can find something that works for both of them. Uh, and you know it's a little soon to to predict where that's going to land.
0: So considering what he's done to this point, uh, not not as if we're we're ever going to be general managers, or at least maybe not me, maybe you. What what number do you think is fair? What what do you in your mind, like what 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 do you think is a fair number contract wise for him?
1: Well, I think that there's at least an understanding that the best way perhaps to tackle this is a longer term deal. You know, and you know, keep in mind Michael bunting is 27, he's turning 28 in September, so to get a long term deal at his age is is a huge positive cuz you know, it, it can tie up some of those years in your 30s where you don't know exactly where things will be. I think for the Leafs that's probably the path to keep the the cap number at at a number they're comfortable with. Um and so I look at like a deal that the Zach Hyman signed in Edmonton as sort of a potential guidepost. You know, Hyman's deal came in at five and a half million a year. He could sign for seven years by moving to a new team in Edmonton. The Leafs have the option potentially to sign Michael Bunting up to an eight-year contract. But you know, something in that range seems to make sense. But we have to remember too, there's some unknowns. I mean, we're all expecting the cap to start jumping, especially during these next three, four, or five seasons in the league. That the cap you know, I think it's reasonable to expect it to jump quite a lot. So if you're Michael Bunting or his agent shoes, you got to be calculating that, um, you know, and the Leafs haven't been a team that have signed this sort of player too often, right? I mean, if you look at the recent history, I'm just going off the top of my head, like they let guys like James Van Riemsdyk, uh, Tyler Bozak leave as free agents. Uh, Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell left as free agents. Ilya Mikheyev left as a free agent and signed kind of what I would call a mid-tier contract. In Vancouver, the Leafs haven't signed a lot of these mid tier contracts, you know, after having their top players locked in. Um, you know, even when they did, they signed Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen to those types of deals and traded both of them, uh, within a year or two. So, you know, this is this is a bit of new ground, but the one thing that that I think that Leafs management's been smart about doing is that they really don't have many commitments for the next few seasons. They They do now, I think, have the ability to look at signing. Some players maybe to to sort of five million and up type of deals, Um, and and so I I think that that's kind of the range you might be looking at. Uh, I'm sure, like all things, Michael Bunting's agent could probably find an example. You know, as I mentioned, he's at .8 points per game, so you know you you can get you can find some examples of players with that output that are earning a lot more than five or six million a year. And the Leafs will probably point to a shorter track record or his age, you know, and that's kind of where the negotiation happens. Um, but, it, you know, what I believe will happen, whether he signs in Toronto now, whether he signs in Toronto in the off season, whether he hits free agency July 1st, I think it's pretty clear he's going to be in line for a nice payday because there's not a lot of players like him. Like, he's a pain in the ass, man. He, he if, you, if you watch him on a, a nightly basis, he draws a ton of penalties. He's been productive. He's on a really nice run as we're recording this now. He's been more than a point per game for the last month or so. Um, you know, obviously benefits from his line mates, but you know, the same was said of Zach Hyman. He went to the market, got that deal in Edmonton, and I don't think the Oilers have any regret about it. I think, you know, Hyman has been worth that money and more during his time with the Oilers, and I think that's that's a similar kind of comparable when you're looking at the Bunting situation.
0: Well, that's a lot of information on the most prominent contract the Toronto Maple Leafs will have to deal with this year.
1: Well, until July 1st, (laughs) right? I mean, this is the most, this might be the most prominent contract they have to do until July 1st. And then on July 1st, they've got William Nylander currently in a career year and some guy named Austin Matthews, fresh off his 500th NHL point, fastest in team history to do so, to deal with.
0: Eh, Yeah, they'll deal with those things. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Anyway. Well, Talk I don't think
1: anything's line. actually going to go wrong. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying
0: wrong. anything's going to go wrong. Don't don't put that on me. You, yeah, I but you kind of go
1: I, I think that. No, you- I
0: didn't hit the nothing. Come on. Don't, don't put that on me. Don't radio me and make it seem as if I think something's going to go wrong. Nothing's going to go wrong. Right. I mean, well, I am nothing, unchanged. Should, nothing should go wrong. Nothing
1: Let me be wrong. on the record for more than the first time to say, like, I, I do believe Austin awesome Matthews will be signing an extension on July 1st unless something goes terribly wrong between then and now. Um, But we'll have to see. I mean, he's not allowed to sign it today. The team can't sign him. So we'll just have to let time do its thing.
0: Are we doing a show on July 1st this year?
1: I don't know. I mean, I'll probably be in studio. So maybe we could do it that night or July 2nd.
0: July 1st is, is a Saturday. So the second is a Sunday. So that would mean that the very first show we would do is after that is the third. And the show before would be the 29th. So... Yeah, then again, the 29th is, uh, well, we're still going to be in draft mode by then.
1: Yeah, we'll figure it out. I mean, the the thing is, we can always alter the schedule around the big events where there's lots of news. You know, we, if you remember last year, we were doing three shows a week up till the trade deadline, like the last couple of weeks. I would think we we're doing something similar. I'll, I'll let the I'll let the important people at SDPN figure that out. But yeah, those days, it'll be all hands on deck. And it's crazy. I think I'm flying back from Nashville on June 30th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, which is crazy to just to, to think that the draft will go until the 29th and then there's one day and then free agency. I, I actually like it. I think it'll be bananas for news and it's, it's in a weird way. That period, sometimes when you got like four days, you're just waiting for it to happen anyway. So it's, why not rip the bandaid off? But I know it's going to be a lot of work for those in front offices and agents. And I think, I think it'll set up a cool draft, like where, Maybe even got free agents coming there to talk to teams or certainly their agents will be doing that. Like it'll be it'll be about more than just the prospects. And then, of course, as the first segment of our show today, then we'll also be talking about Connor Bedard and and everything that goes on with that. I mean, it's going to be a wild week in hockey.
0: It's going to be a wild next few months in hockey, pretty much starting from now. Please let me buy you at least one beer in Nashville. I feel like I owe you that much considering what you will be going through with all the trade stuff, the draft stuff for agency stuff, let me at least get you one. I'll get you three if you want.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll find time for fun. I'll just be early in the week rather than late in the week.
0: Speaking of fun, it's time for the trading pile. Uh, if you are familiar with the trading pile, as we did last year, it's basically just a list of names that may or may not be on the market for trade. I mentioned some, CJ tells me what he's hearing, what he's thinking. Uh, we've got a few for our very first edition of Trading Pile for 2023. Let's start in Chicago with Jonathan Tays and Patrick
1: Kane. Sure. And look, these will be broader updates. It'll get more specific. I think as time goes along. Yes. Um, You know, at this point in time, actually, as we're recording this on Wednesday, Patrick Kane left yesterday's game with an injury. And so we don't have a lot of clarity on his specific injury situation at this moment, you know, that, that could change things. But I think, you know, where it's at is this is, this is maybe a unique case in that, both players are franchise legends. Both players have full no movement clauses. Uh, both players have to weigh, and I think this is important. This is can't be overstated. Do they want to waive a no movement clause to get traded to a team at this deadline and potentially have to move to a new team in the summer? Um, that's a lot of upheaval when you have a family or, or other things to consider. It's not unprecedented. Exactly what Claude Giroux did last year. Uh, you know, waived his no move from Philly. Went and played a few months in Florida and then signed in Ottawa as a free agent in the offseason. But I think that has to be decided. And so where it's at is that, you know, I think the players are working through their own process with their agents. I would expect in the next week or two, uh, this is, this is before Kane was injured. Maybe, maybe things will be totally different by by the time we get some clarity on that injury, but you know, that that those conversations would happen and that the the organization and the players would, would kind of move forward with a plan. Um, but I, I would be surprised if either player wasn't, you know, if they're moved, I think it's going to a, a true contender. And so it might take some time to figure out who the true contenders are. I mean, we can identify a couple, but you know, you can't just make a trade with every team that there's cap considerations and all those types of things. And and then is it is it a sign and trade, maybe? I mean, that might be the optimal situation for Chicago, actually, because I would think teams are going to be willing to give up a little bit more if they were buying, for example, a couple years of Patrick Kane versus just the remaining, you know, part of this season. And so this this will be a complex set of circumstances. And I, I still do think it's not it's not entirely a foregone conclusion that these guys are traded. I mean, I, I think it's probably likely, but there's there's a lot of different hoops to jump through here. And and first and foremost will be an update on Kane's injury. Absolutely.
0: I remember talking with Mark Lazarus about it earlier in the year, and it he got the sense that Patrick Kane, I think, really wanted to stay in Chicago. And I don't know if that's really changed at this point, but to your point about it not being a foregone conclusion that both those guys don't get traded or do get traded. Like it's just the mystery around that. They wouldn't completely surprise me if they, if at least one of those guys ends up staying, that's just well, my a, gut
1: feeling. It's a hard decision, right? Because on one hand, like these guys are competitors. They've won three cups. They haven't really been on competitive teams for a number of years now. Like it, it would be pretty enticing to be like, yeah, maybe I can get thrown onto a team with a chance to win. I mean, I, I, I you could see the enticement there, but then you also potentially move to that city. Maybe it doesn't go well. Maybe the team's out in round one, and then you got to be a free agent again. Like there's there's big considerations there. Whereas, you know, if you play out the string, just for let's just have this as a thought process. If you play out the string, then you can, you know, know you're 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 not gonna be playing playoff games in Chicago. Maybe there's some sort of formal goodbye from the organization as the season winds down, you, you kind of make peace with that, and then you've got some some a couple months to prepare for free agency. I mean, uh I, I can understand both both arguments. Time is short. You only get so many seasons. Why not play for a cup this year? But it's, it's, it's hard to telemark that perfectly. And, and so, you know, it's, it's a little premature just because the players themselves haven't reached their own decisions and, and they really will drive the bus on, on what happens. How
0: about Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko in St. Louis? Both of those players on the injured reserve right now, but two players who could easily change addresses by March 3rd.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think St. Louis was leaning towards probably moving them before they were injured. Uh, you know, they happened to win their first game after they were both put on IR in Toronto on Tuesday night. Uh, so maybe there'll be, you know, some sort of run with, with you know, the players left behind without them. But, you know, I think by and large, this probably moves them even closer to to where those guys will be will be moved out. But, you know, again, that decision hasn't been made. I think if there's a, a positive to be taken with the injuries, I mean, you have a hand injury for Tarasenko. Uh, the team said four weeks for him. It's a broken foot uh, in the case of Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, those are those are injuries that heal, right? I mean, there's, there isn't typically an opportunity for many setbacks or much confusion about that. So I think that, you know, there, there's every reason to expect they'll both be healthy uh, to to be back in before March 3rd. And then really the question is, what do the Blues do without them? They're in a really tough spot. They're also missing Tori Krug. So they're down a quarter, a quarter of their potential cap space is currently tied up with with you know some significant injuries to key players, and so I think it's going to be hard for them to stay in the race. And and if they fall out, I mean those are, you know, especially in the case of O'Reilly, I think a, a pretty big piece to dangle. It's not to, not to, downplay Tarasenko, but but you know he's he's a little bit more one dimensional. He's a scorer, but I think Ryan O'Reilly brings some intangibles. He's had a tough year, but I mean it's it's easy to imagine teams say that get in on Bo Horvat maybe. And if they can't land him, you know, would would view Ryan O'Reilly as a a pretty good second uh, player to chase.
0: That's really crazy. I mean, considering how Bo Horvat, I know he's having a really good year, but Ryan O'Reilly, Stanley cup champion, really good center as a, as a consolation prize. If you lose out on Bo Horvat, that's pretty funny.
1: Well, I mean, look at he's, he's done it before, right? Teams love that. It's, it's a veteran player. It's a 200 foot player at his best. Um, You know, if he gets healthy and teams obviously will probably have a chance to look at the medical records if they get close enough to a trade, uh, I could I could see that being a pretty appealing player to add.
0: Let's get to Bo Horvat, actually. What are you hearing about Bo?
1: Well, talks seem to be non-existent at this point on, on a potential extension in Vancouver. The Canucks did make a, another push to sign him last month. and And, you know, when he declined that offer, you know, that seemed to sort of seal the fate. But I think, we have to remember, I mean, there's still, as we're recording this, two months before the deadline. And so maybe Vancouver circles back, maybe. Uh, but at this point in time, there's nothing to point to that. And, and you know, I would think if they don't sign him to an extension and he's having a tremendous season, extremely productive, um, you know, one of the players in, in a year where a lot of people are asking questions about some of the, the Canucks players, whether it's their commitment or or what have you. I mean, there's no questions about Bo Horvat. And there's no question to, in my eyes that a number of contenders uh would would be interested in him if if he was made available. And so, you know, at this stage, it it looks to me like that that's probably where this ends up, but there's enough time here maybe for for the Canucks to circle back. As I think I've mentioned, I, I thought JT Miller was going to be traded last offseason and then all of a sudden they reach an extension with him. So so I guess the same could happen in the horback case, but that doesn't seem to be the the direction of things right now.
0: I'm with you. We all thought JT Miller was getting traded uh, during the (sighs) offseason. Bit of an interesting time for him. Uh, Jacob Chikrin, next on our list.
1: Man, he's done everything he could do. Anything you would ask of him after being injured in the summer, not being ready to start training camp in the the regular season. uh, Incredibly productive. uh, I think really has opened some eyes. I mean, someone from another team said to me, like, "I, I can't believe how good he's been. And this is from a team that didn't necessarily like the player or had some questions about the player, but they, they can't deny how good he's been. Um, I still think he's moved by this deadline. I know his name's been out there it almost, you almost get fatigue, right? You're like, okay, if no one's traded for him, why would they trade for him all of a sudden? But I think, I think what he's done should be enough to, to get someone in, in the, you know, in the realm of the price being asked. And this is a player with two more years on his deal. I mean, it's not a, this isn't a deadline move. This isn't what This isn't a team could take one kick at the can with Jacob Chikrin. I mean, you're really, especially if you're a team with in the playoff race, you, you you potentially have three playoff runs with him. So, um, you know, the the cost is still high. Arizona has not wavered on sort of this idea of two first round picks are equivalent, you know, plus a prospect uh, for Chikrin. I, you know, it's it's a big price to pay, but it's a, the sort of player that we don't see move too often in the league right now. And you know, Jacob Chikrin's taking care of his end of things by, by playing so well.
0: John Klingberg is next on our list.
1: It's been quiet here. I mean, he he had a no trade clause actually that that just expired on January 1st. So, you know, the team couldn't have traded him without his consent before now. Basically, this was the goal, right? Come play for us, one year, 7 million when he signed in Anaheim last summer after a long wait on on the market and we'll turn you into an asset somewhere in the new year. Uh it's been a tough year for Klingberg personally. It's been a really tough year for the Ducks broadly. Uh you know, I think it'll be that that might impair his value somewhat um but you know I still would think that there's a world where he's traded cuz Anaheim's a team that can retain you know the cap space on him and um you know the the market hasn't really developed I would say yet on on Klingberg but you know that that will be a player that there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on you know how he plays now in January and February as teams look to to maybe bring him in
0: uh, two more names they're both defensemen We've got a lot of defensemen in this trading pile. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov from Columbus.
1: Interesting player. Like, he, you know, he's a little different, right? He's not a Klingberg who's a puck mover. We're talking about more of a uh, meat and potatoes kind of defenseman. Um, I think that there's a lot of interest in him, or at least teams that are putting them on their wish list, or watch list um, as the deadline approaches. I, I'm not totally sure, though, that, that Columbus is committed to trading him. You know, I think that they're, my understanding is there's been at least some some conversations about a contract extension there. I don't know if there any traction has been made, but but certainly the blue jackets have to weigh the merits of of what they can trade him for versus potentially locking him up and and keeping him around. And so, you know, I don't yet know if he'll be moved, but I do think if the blue jackets reach the point where either they can't sign him or they just decide it's it's best to move on that that they're going to find themselves with quite a market of of playoff bound teams that that see him as the sort of Addition that you want to make to a team that that wants to play a lot of difficult hockey come the spring.
0: Uh, Joel Edmondson uh, might also fit some of those uh, descriptions that you mentioned for Gavrikov.
1: He does, and it, with with one difference, right? He signed beyond the season, so this isn't a move Montreal has to make. I think the Canadians, you know, much as they were last year, are of the mind of of you know selling some assets and and you know retooling on the fly, if you will. They're another team. We talk about Connor Bedard that that. Could stand to lose a few more games down the stretch. I know that started. They've lost five in a row as we're recording this, but um, you know, I, I do think Edmondson fits a similar profile and could be moved, but doesn't have to be moved because of his contractual status. And and, you know, we'll we'll see how that ends up.
0: This show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take AG one every morning before I get started with my day. They say it's best to do it on an empty stomach. I like it, it's actually pretty cool. You know if i I feel sometimes hey maybe the powder is just not cutting it for me i can mix in a little bit of juice i go on with my day i still get all the things i need in order to have better gut health uh improved immune system as well uh sustained energy too i i really enjoy taking ag1 so i'm really happy that uh, we get to read an ad about ag1 Uh, if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your very first purchase. Go to go to athleticgreens.com slash Johnston. That's athleticgreens.com slash Johnston and check it out. Trust me, it's it's really, really good. Like it basically costs like when you account for the pricing of it, it basically costs like $3 a day. It's really not that much. Like it's literally like a little less than what you'd pay for a coffee so seriously if you go to athleticgreens.com slash Johnston get yourself some athletic greens a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your very first purchase get on there athleticgreens.com slash Johnston think you know what way it's gonna go make your bet at sports interaction when the puck drops sports interaction has you covered pre-game live betting on all major sports and on prop bets want to bet Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right. We've gone through trading pile. We have a few more questions to get through with Ask CJ, and we will wrap up the first episode of the year uh for uh, the Chris Johnston show. Ready for some questions?
1: Yep. I know we're on the clock here, so we'll rip through Oh them. yeah.
0: Let's whip through them. Uh Eli Keats been seeing some Lafreniere trade rumblings with another healthy scratch last night. Where the odds? the New York Rangers trade
1: him. The odds are low right now. I think that the Rangers view this more as a blip rather than, you know, they've reached a point of no return uh, with the former number one overall pick. Obviously a lot of teams are watching this. Uh, there've been reports, for example, of Vancouver uh, showing some interest in Lafreniere. His, his agent uh, before she joined the Canucks front office was Emily Castingay. So there's, there's an, another parallel to be drawn there, but at this point in time, I don't get the sense the Rangers are ready to move on. I think they're just trying to do what they can to to get the best out of the player,
0: Lacey Gracie. You've mentioned in the past that Cobert Papa is an excellent cook. What's his best dish or meal?
1: I think he's best on the barbecue. Uh, he he can cook your steak as you like it. You know, a lot of our summer meals it's it's Cobert Papa. You know, taking the lead on that. He would probably tell you his Scottish breakfast is the best, but you know he makes that uh, for our family on on Christmas Day and a few other occasions, but I don't personally enjoy that. That's more for my siblings. So I'm going to say the the barbecue. Uh,
0: Ryan Pike, uh, friend of the show, Ryan Pike. Uh, who's given you the best advice during your career? And what was that best piece of advice they gave you?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I've been blessed. I, I was, as I've probably told on here, I mean, Pierre LeBron was an early mentor of mine. Scott Burnside was a real mentor. I had a boss uh, at the Canadian press named Neil Davidson who really helped shape my career. You know, I, I can't think of one. Piece of advice that that any of them gave me, but I, I think you know probably the support was was the most important thing. I think when you're when you're first trying to get your feet under you in the industry, you just want to be seen a little bit. You just want to feel like you're part of the picture. You you want to be given some time to find your footing and make mistakes and figure things out. And you know those people, amongst many others, uh, helped me do that. Uh, Neil was a really difficult editor, and I say that in the best way possible. Like he really demanded and helped me get sharper with my writing and my focus on stories. You know, Pierre and Scott were, were more colleagues and, and, and friends. Um, best advice I can give, though, is just like, just keep doing it, man. I mean, you're, there's going to be lots of ups and downs for everybody. There's going to be lots of times you feel like you hit a road wall, like a wall, and there's nowhere to keep going. You just got to keep on keeping on and, and try to find your way, surround yourself with the right people and do the best work you possibly can do.
0: That's a good way to end it, I think. I know there are a few other questions we could get to, but uh, we can save them for a future edition of Ask CJ. We're already kind of running a little above time for both of us, uh, but uh, this this was just a really good episode. I think all our episodes are good, but uh, this is definitely one that uh, we'll rank as uh, one of the more juicier ones with some of the details you were able to drop.
1: Nice way to start 2023 together, pal.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We'll be back on Friday with a brand new episode. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long.
1: The Chris Johnston Show.
0: Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet?
1: Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.
0: The Chris Johnston Show.